Welcome to the Cloud Pod, where the forecast is always cloudy. We talk weekly about all things AWS, GCP, and Azure. We are your hosts, Justin, Jonathan, Ryan, and Peter. Episode 148, recorded on January 12th. The Cloud Pod simplifies our first recording of 2022. Good evening, Ryan and Peter. How's it going? Yeah, going well. Happy New Year. Happy New Year. Yes, uh, we are unfortunately without Jonathan. He uh, he was not feeling well, and so we let him uh, exit the show for the evening. And so we are going to do it with the three of us, uh, which is all good. So yeah, it's a you know took a couple of weeks off. I feel refreshed. I feel, I, it was nice not to do show notes for a couple of days. <laughs> it was great. <laughs> uh, you know, it's like laundry. It just continues. You know, but luckily it was quiet for the most part in the cloud space. So we didn't miss much. And I, I think we should do that more often. <laughs> <laughs> in December, <laughs> yes. we just take two weeks off and like eh, we're gonna check out, uh, you know, enjoy ourselves, uh, or we could record you know episodes in advance and just filter them out. But it's hard to do on a weekly news show, I suppose. Yeah, yeah. But, uh, that's always the trick. You always we always do like a special show, like Ryan does a thing show, or or <laughs> we all mm-hmm. we all go do a thing and then we come back and report on it. We have some bonus episodes during Christmas. Maybe we'll go. Oh, yeah, maybe we come up something cool for next year or this year. Yes, now that we're twenty two, which I'm still writing checks wrong. I'm still writing the wrong date on anything I sign just how it works for the first all of january and part of february for me well our last show we talked about uh the future and 2022 what we think is going to come and we talked about the past and we we laughed at how bad our predictions were and then we also covered what our three favorite announcements were and jonathan and ryan and i covered our three and peter was unfortunately not here and and that's fine uh, but uh, you know, we said you can't get off the hook that easily. We had to. We all had to go. Not off the hook. Yeah, you know, we had to all go through all of the backlog. We had to go see you know all the different things, and so you still had to provide to us three, you know, three of your favorite announcements for 2020. Yes. So you are on the on the hot seat uh, to walk us through okay. what they are and and why. Why? Okay, I, I can do that. I can do what and why. <laughs> Um, okay, my first one was the announcement of AWS Fault Injector Injection Simulator. Um, I always thought that you know this area of automation is one of the strongest uh, aspects of the cloud, and so making it super easy for us to get value out of that uh, with our workloads, tools like this, I, th- I think it's just tailor made for the cloud providers to be offering these tools. So excited about that one! I was. Although I love what uh, Netflix often does with their tools, I you know they're also specific to their workloads that it's not always easy to take Chaos Monkey and make it work for you, etc. So I think this is a great one. I think a lot of uh, a lot of people can get benefit out of that. Yeah, it would be uh, you know the, the one that I would go to probably before this one is Gremlin, just because I think they they're a really great product and they've kind of taken the chaos engineering thing to the mass market in a, an interesting way, and I think they're doing some cool things. Uh, but you know, if you you don't have really complicated use cases, or you don't want to do complicated ones, the fault injection simulator is a great great alternative choice. Um, but if you need that multi cloud solution, Gremlin is your guy. Hopefully, a future sponsor someday. So, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, totally. Yeah. <laughs> um, my second one was um, uh, container native cloud DNS for Kubernetes on GKE. And again, this is one of those uh, those services where when you're going to leverage cloud infrastructure and you're going to leverage cloud native services, the one benefit that they have is that they get to tightly integrate these services together and make our jobs so much easier. And uh, service discovery is uh, always a challenge. And so I thought that was this is a neat way to go yeah. for Google. Uh, you know, if you design your architecture right, uh, DNS can be a very valuable service discovery method. Um, at least until you you know you get to the point where you need something more complicated and you actually need a service mesh and you need service discovery with console or zookeeper or something like that. So yeah, this is a good move and you know integrating this you know DNS not being integrated to Kubernetes before this was very difficult uh, and very a lot of heavy lifting. So this was a good announcement too. This was a, a very nice one. Good. And your third? Yes. My third looks like I think Ryan might have also used because I think that's what if those are. The, the list and the notes, but it you was change one letter. You could change one letter and you'd be totally fine. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, ECS announcement of ECS anywhere, and I just I, I love this whole battle that seems to be going on. Where now, you know, all the all the cloud providers are embracing containerization um, and the technologies that allow containerized workloads to work well on their platform, but the uh, <laughs> the 
the little side effect is that they also run equally well on everybody else's platform. So, you know, now this sort of battle for the, uh, for owning the technology that companies use either to uh, do container orchestration with ECS anywhere or with like um, uh, dashboarding of, you know, track all your Kubernetes or manage all your Kubernetes uh, or containerized workloads with our tool. I think it's, I think it's super interesting watching them try to, navigate their way around being the the one pane of glass, but dealing with the fact that now workloads are super portable. Yeah, it's definitely a, a challenge, right? That's this is something that, you know, I've wanted forever. And, you know, as Jonathan was pointing out in our last show, you know, there there's still some caveats, right? You can move that container there, but can you move the the integration with the load balancer? Can you move the the network some of the networking elements? And there's still, you know, Still, some difficulties when really trying to provide this, you know, as a as a, as a total solution. But you know, I still, you know, I love that Amazon isn't giving up on ECS and they're continuing to invest in it, um, just because I think it has a, a, a not a different use case, but it, it's an ulterior method of managing container orchestration that you know I like. And so yep. I'm happy to see it be continuously invested in. Yeah, I was talking to one of our listeners in our Slack, and he. He mentioned he was deploying for the first time on ECS, and you know, and I sort of asked him like, "Well, why are why are you doing that versus EKS?" And he's like, "Well, you know, I started a new company, and the new company was already an ECS shop, and you know, so it just made sense to stay on ECS." And you know, my comment to him still is like, "I still think ECS is the right way to go. Like, it's so simple comparatively to EKS, which has a lot of complexity, right. which is necessary in some cases, but." Um, you know, even I, I have a small Kubernetes cluster that runs on a bunch of Raspberry Pis that I have at my house, uh, and I'm I've actually debated like putting ECS anywhere on there instead. That's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> like, why not? Like, I and, you know, I, the only reason why it's in my house is for low latency and for you know for accessing my my local NAS and things that I do there. Um, why not leverage it that way? And so, um, mm-hmm. you know, it gets me out of having to keep maintaining this this Raspberry Pi Kubernetes cluster, which is kind of a pain in the ass because I don't do it very often. Um, I just want it to run, and and the beauty about ECS, and actually the CloudPod website runs on ECS as well. It just it just works, and, you know. Yeah. Like yeah. only, only time I ever have problems with it is, is that it's been too long since I've monkeyed with it, and they've changed the API, <laughs> or the Terraform has dramatically changed since last time I updated it. Um, and so you know those are my challenges, but yeah, it's just it's nice. It just works. I don't have to think about it. I don't have to worry about all these things, and it gets upgraded and and all the things the way it needs to be done, and you know just ugh, so much better. And yes, I. And to make sure that I don't copy Ryan, I'm happy if my top three gets changed to the announcement of EKS anywhere. Yeah, because we'll we'll it's pretty much the same thing for, really from is. my perspective. Yeah, not the same technology, but the same the same concept around uh, this struggle of these cloud providers. Yeah, and I think we'll continue to see them playing to try to level this playing field at Kubernetes. But um, yeah, I, I do worry a little bit that we're getting distracted from cloud native because you know. Everyone says Kubernetes and, and containerization is cloud native as well, but you know it, it's still just running servers. It's just running workloads on servers. Where you know going more cloud native is doing serverless and, and leveraging managed services and, and those things. And so I, I worry that you know this hyper focus everyone has on containers um, is sort of limiting our ability to really execute on cloud in the right way in many companies. That's interesting because I've I've never seen this as cloud native as much of as just a, a push of you know a lot of workloads or a lot of teams are supporting workloads in both a hybrid environment or, you know, in a hybrid environment. But really what I see these is not so much the offering of these container orchestration applications within the data center, but so much more is actually adding the AWS tagging console, you know, just the, the, some of the, you know, you know, configuration database things, you're bringing that into the data center more than anything else. And, you know, there's a lot of places that struggle with that because it's not directly in the runtime, and it, it definitely doesn't make you any money. It just makes it easier to, to maintain and run. So it avoids risk, but yeah. So I like I like it for those reasons. Whether it's ECS or EKS, they both have that visibility. It's sort of hard to argue that containers are not cloud native, considering the cloud native foundation runs mostly services. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, all right. Well, let's move on to. Uh, well, thanks, Peter. We appreciate you uh, doing the homework and uh, following up for those. But uh, yeah, I think it was it was a weird year in general. With, you know, second year pandemic, and you know, we all commented about how limited our pickings were for Asia items. <laughs> uh, and I see you you also cheated out and didn't do an Asia item because just there wasn't a lot there. So it, it's uh, it's interesting. Yeah. 
All right, moving on to new news in AWS and, and things coming out in 2022. Uh, first up is you can now deploy applications using IP version 6 address spacing on EKS. Uh, many customers, of course, are using Kubernetes to simplify their architecture or go cloud native, as we just talked about. Uh, and of course, Kubernetes uses a flat networking model that requires each pod to receive an IP address. And this simplifies the approach of enabling low friction porting of apps from VMs to containers, but can require significant IP addresses that many VPC IPv4 networks were designed for before Kubernetes was a thing, are not able to handle. Uh, and so this can be addressed with a bunch of hacks, uh, including the container networking plugins that virtualize your IP addresses and a layer above the VPC. But this does limit your ability to observe and troubleshoot applications and makes things just more complex, especially if you're trying to get low latency. It's a lot more hops, a lot more net network address translations and latency incurred. And so to avoid this issue, you just move to IPv6 because that's how you avoid IP exhaustion. You just get a bajillion of them. Uh, and you can also minimize latency and simplify your routing configurations. Uh, this may have cost benefits to you by allowing you to run more pods on a single host or subnet without risk of exhausting those IPv4 addresses and allows your lower latency connectivity to the internet, AWS regions, and the on-premise networks without additional net hops. There are some net, uh, limitations to this. Uh, this is new. Uh, you, can only use it for, you can use it for your self-managed clusters uh, if you're not using EKS, but uh, one of the challenges is you have to do your own control plane networking on IPv6, which you know if you're doing that already, Maybe you should just go to EKS. Uh, the second problem with it, IPv6 has to be turned on at creation time of your cluster if you're using EKS and cannot be added later yet. Uh, and it only supports Linux today. Windows is not supported as mm. a container runtime uh, environment yet. Uh, Showstopper. Yeah, or no one, I hope, in the container space. But if it is, <laughs> then I'm sorry. Uh, but uh, there you go. So this is, this is great. Uh, you know, Again, you can t- find out how much your application does not support IPv6 in a container. Yeah, it's always more painful than people realize. Like I, I, I remember being, you know, a bright-eyed like you know sysadmin saying like this isn't that big of a deal to to switch to IPv6 years ago now, and man, was that a colossal failure! Just so many. It was a great learning experience because there were just so many things I didn't quite understand about how networking worked. Yeah, you get real familiar with the seven layers of the network stack. <laughs> mm-hmm. Oh yeah, there's a translation layer in there that has to be able to handle this to the application handoff, and yeah, there's a bunch of bunch of things that. Still are very IP aware. Yeah. Uh, Things you take for granted. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, you can always go back to spanning tree. That's always, yeah. <laughs> or IPX, SPX, you know, all kinds of other fun networking protocols. IPX, SPX. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Good old times. Netware. Netware days. Uh, I Back in those days, I missed most of the I did Apple Talk, which was worse. Because. <laughs> uh, what about Banyan? Uh, I never did Banyan. I never did any Coax. I'm not quite that old. Uh, oh, I did coax, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I worked in a school district for my first tech job, and they had some coax labs, but we we replaced most of them in my tenure there, so I never had to actually monkey with them. Um, but uh, yeah, it's you know, networking's come a long way since I was a child. <laughs> I'm just sitting here listening to this conversation, just appreciating the fact that you know computers were my second career. <laughs> I missed all of yeah. those things. <laughs> oh my god, dude. Running ten base two coax and then uh, so, you know it's a ring. If there's it's like freaking uh, lights in your Christmas tree, you lose you lose a, you get a bad converter. The whole freaking network's down until you walk around and find the problem. But it, but it was worse because you would you would go into this, this splitter, and then off of each splitter you could do like eight nodes, or you could attach six nodes on another splitter. But like, like, like all these weird like idiosyncrasies, and so like. It, nothing but nothing but pain. Like it's just awful. Nothing but pain. Nothing but pain. And so Apple Talk was interesting too because Apple Talk as a protocol is terrible. It's the most chatty thing I've ever seen in my entire life. So most most computers and switches and things like when you you plug into a network, it says I'm there and you know Brian, I'm, I'm the Ryan computer and I just attached the network and I told everyone I'm the Ryan computer and I'm here and here's my MAC address. Mm-hmm. And then every other computer remember that. And then you know typically if the network traffic isn't being addressed to you, you just See the packet and you discard it. In the Apple Talk world, they say they're like those uh, those seagulls from uh, Finding Nemo. Mine, 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 mine. <laughs> and so, like, we, we, I literally had to go find the one bad Apple Talk card in a lab that was crashing the entire Apple Talk network because it had just gone crazy and was just spamming the crap out of the entire network and taking down so much you know, fun. the ten megabit network that we ran because <laughs> that's the fastest you could do back in those days. Right. Yeah. So. Anyways, memory lane of uh, Apple Talk and uh, IPX, XPX, and all those things. Well, let's move on to more complex things like Kubernetes, <laughs> once again. <laughs> uh, and this time, if you are running uh, GKE clusters, you can now manage them with Amazon EKS. Well, manage is a stretch. 
You can visualize the GKA cluster inside your EKS console. That's what this is today. The EKS console provides a single pane of glass to visualize all your Kubernetes resources. Uh, customers that prefer a graphical user interface use the EKS console to view the Kubernetes status, configuration, and workloads for GKE and actually any other conformant uh, Kubernetes cluster, not just GKE. So if you have wanted to have a single pane of glass for all your Kubernetes uh, and EKS for some reason, which I'm not sure what that is, uh, this is now available to you to do. Well, I can tell you why the need to, to have a single pane of glass because you the way it's reported is like, hey, my container doesn't work. Well, where is it? No idea. <laughs> so, like, yeah. So, I mean, I, I you know, it's one of those things where it's like it's on one of these clusters, and you know, typically you'd be able to figure that out. But I, I, I again, this is one of those things where it's bringing the configuration management and some of those tools of visualization, you know, from in this case from GK into Amazon, which is. An odd flex, uh, but <laughs> um, it is, you know, I, there is some something to be said for having it all on one list. I mean, if if Kubernetes could be able to manage my EKS clusters uh, or deploy Kubernetes into my Amazon account, but I still want to see what my Amazon spend is, you know, you might want this. I can see the, I can see some of those use cases where it makes sense. But uh, yeah, it's, it's a, it was a little bit of an odd announcement for me as well. Yeah, it is. They just want, they want to own the, they want to own the dashboard. They want to own the. The view in. Well, the more they own, the more they you know have potential to take back the business when something goes wrong yeah. or bump in the night. Yeah. So, all right. Next up is the AWS Compute Optimizer, which is a great tool to help you identify all of your instances that are running, uh, you know, with very large CPUs but not using them. <laughs> so this will save you a bunch of money or potentially help you avoid performance issues with Compute Optimizer. But one of the challenges it had before was that you had to specify x86 or ARM. Um, and so, you know, you if you're on Intel today, you'd have to be on Intel for the recommendation because there's no other option. But now you can specify uh, x86 and ARM, and it'll make a recommendation that if you you know if you move from an Intel base to an ARM or vice versa, uh, what your potential performance improvement may be, uh, which is a great additional option to let you know what workloads might be able to move to a Graviton much much faster. Another reason I don't have to pay for cloud health. Yep. Oh yeah. No, yeah, this is. I mean, that's a this is a big. A big hit to the, those tools that are providing that level of visibility. This and this is nice because this, you know, for someone who runs multiple services in, a, in, in an environment, you're constantly having to defend the amount that you're spending and and always having to answer how can you make it cheaper. And so I've I've had to do this this same exercise manually um, in Excel several times. So it, it's nice that this would be available via API. Seven petabyte, you know, of Elasticsearch clusters. You know, what if I just run ARM hmm. containers? <laughs> yeah. How much yeah. do I save? You know, yeah. like, is it a big number or is it a small number? It's actually a fairly big number. I, I can see that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, Amazon is announcing the general availability of the HPC six A instance, a new instance type that is a purpose built for HPC workloads, leveraging the AMD Epic third generation processors. It's expanded AWS portfolio of HPC compute options and delivers up to sixty five percent better price performance compared to similar compute optimized Amazon EC two instances that customers use for the HPC workloads today. The HPC six A instance reminds me of that song that's out right now that goes HPC D E F U Amazon for that new instance name. <laughs> <laughs> is this Amazon's way of announcing they're moving to SKUs? <laughs> Apparently. <laughs> <laughs> uh, next is the Amazon EMR Studio, which is a new IDE that Amazon released sometime late last year uh, that makes it easier for data scientists and data engineers to develop, visualize, and debug uh, da- big data and analytics applications written in R, Python, Scala, and PySpark. But of course, all your data lives in SQL Server. <laughs> and so now they're allowing you to uh, use the SQL Explorer in EMR Studio, to a feature that allows you to browse the data catalog and run SQL queries in EMR clusters from the EMR Studio. Hmm. That is so confusing. <laughs> it's all SQL at the end, Peter. It's always SQL. Yeah. It's the true measure of success. When you're when you can accept a SQL query, no matter what the you know underlying technology is, and you're joined, baby. Mm-hmm. <laughs> when I can take down a when I can take down an entire data center uh, SQL server with a single command that joins twelve of them together, <laughs> you know you know you've succeeded as a database. Perfect. That is one thing you can say about this is that you know it's very unlikely this is going to be like taking uh, a production workload down with running SQL queries. You know, just due to the nature of the EMR product. So that's nice. Yeah, your you know your your recognition is going to have you know some less than lovely you know 
confidence, but you know, eh. yeah. Uh, well, Business Insider is reporting that Amazon Web Services is planning to completely reimagine how its network is managed uh, as per a job posting, as revealed. Uh, which is a terrible way to get your news, I think. <laughs> uh, but Business Insider apparently scans Amazon.com job posting and believes that AWS is planning to completely reimagine how its network is managed. Uh, it's tied to a job posting, uh, which you know I went to because I was curious. Uh, and you know it starts out with the job posting is manager software development, comma new initiative. So I guess it wasn't. Ooh. I guess it wasn't too hard for. Uh, business Insider to find this one. But uh, basically, the post is tied to a project the company expects that will be critical to the growth of AWS Network and Amazon.com. Uh, the post case that part of it will be building a suite of control plane services from the ground up to manage the complex Amazon network. Amazon, of course, declined to comment, as they always do on these type of rumors. Uh, but the job post says it's a greenfield project, and many decisions have yet to be made about not only the software components this role will own, but also the customer experience. Uh, someone apparently familiar with AWS networking that Business Insider has on speed dial said that the AWS network is a has a modest amount of automation and is a painful to deal with to make changes. And this project may be attempt to fix it or the hiring managers using new initiative as a recruiting tactic. Uh, apparently, this is not the first time there's been a rumored secret project. Uh, apparently, they're also working on a couple to fix the US East Tire Fire 1. Uh, and that is apparently a rumor that Business Insider also reported on in the past, uh, which, you know, again, these are rumors. We don't typically talk about them, but I, I did sort of think this was intriguing <laughs> that there's someone who's even contemplating the idea of fixing the Amazon network in any meaningful way. Yeah. I mean, the timing of the job posting is, you know, definitely leads the, leads the imagination a bit, right? Like after the last outage and, and figuring out, you know, exactly how some of the, the internal networking works or does not work. Um, you can see why they sort of bid on this. It, It'd be interesting to see how real this is and, or how much it is recruiting because it is really tough to hire right now. And so some of the language I definitely see is, you know, the developer that's yeah. empowered to make decisions, please. Feels like a job that should be taken by someone at Amazon who really understands how the network is currently run. For sure. Yeah. I mean, I wonder because there's, there's also, you run the risk of, you know, pigeonholing the thought process, you know, you want that to be on the team for sure, right? You need that expertise because you can't just rip everything up. That's not how anything works, but you also want a fresh perspective and, and how, you know, managing someone who's managed the network at sale, maybe someone else could bring, you know, sort of a fresh perspective. You want a fresh perspective. I don't want a fresh perspective. Yeah. Maybe. <laughs> That's for you. You can have yeah. it. You, you can have the fresh perspective. <laughs> I want the guy who's been up freaking six times a week for the last three years. It's like, I'm sick of it. I can tell you exactly how to fix it. <laughs> listen, somebody listen to me. Uh, that's true too. <laughs> Just be that guy. Just pay him. Yeah. Yeah. I was doing, I was doing some, uh, some liquid therapy with some of your foghorn engineers about, you know, the, the life of being a consultant and, you know, you can see how to fix it. You tell them how to do all the things and they never do it. And then they call you six months later and they're like, we still have that problem. We still need to fix it. And like, did you do the thing? No, we didn't. We didn't do the thing you told us. No. Uh, and they blame us for the fact that they decided to not take our advice. That's the most frustrating part. Isn't that, isn't that why you pay a consulting agency? So you can blame them. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Like, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> the life of a consulting company is, is not a glamorous mm. field. <laughs> having, not a glamorous field. Having worked in them before. Don't envy you, Peter. Uh, yeah. All right, let's move on to GCP news. Apparently, Google is acquiring Simplify, Simplify, for boosting their security operations. Uh, they're apparently a leading security orchestration automation and response provider, or SOAR, uh, which is strange because their name is Simplify. Simplify, not Sorify, Simplify. So apparently they pivoted somewhere and didn't change the name. Google indicates that Simplify <laughs> shares Google's vision and will join the Google Cloud security team to help companies better manage their threat response. Providing a proven SOAR capability unified with the Google's Chronicle innovative approach to security analytics is an important step forward in their vision. Building an intuitive, efficient security operations workflow around planet-scale security telemetry will further realize Google Cloud's vision of a modern threat management stack that empowers customers to go beyond typical security events and SIM uh, and extended detection and response tooling, nailing better detection and response at the speed and scale of the cloud. We have a quote here from Amos Stern, the CEO at Simplify, who just made a bunch of money. We're excited to join Google Cloud and build on the success we've had in the market, helping companies address growing security threats. Together with Chronicle's sec rich security analytics and threat intelligence, we can truly help security professionals transform the security operations center to defend against today's threats. 
Um, so, you know, overall, I think this is great. I'm glad to see them do this. Uh, you know, continuing to expand Chronicle is going to be great, and getting a store capability is pretty nice. Well, and, you know, they they fixed the naming problem by, you know, moving it into Chronicle. So for, for just that alone, thank you, Google. Yeah, you know, Sim- Simplify, that. which isn't a sim, is now yeah. no longer, you know, the name would die yeah. quickly, I'm sure. I wonder, I wonder if, like, uh, you know, I've sort of lost track of security products, but I wonder if it's commonplace for, for typical sim products to be, le- you know, going more, dipping their feet in the waters of more uh, remediation and orchestration. So that they're sort of rebranding under the SOAR sort of name because i can see how that would make sense and how that would happen over time it, it totally makes sense to me that you know i can see people calling a sim a dinosaur and it's just you know not helpful and you need to get into threat intelligence and threat hunting and you need more you need more action and more automation and so you know soar is your way to pivot and if you can provide that with some type of ml ai even better wins and more multiples on your valuation perfect yes and especially better if i don't have to run an appliance to do so Agreed. I, I don't want any appliances, especially in the cloud. I hate appliances yep. in the cloud. Yeah, it's the worst. These are always huge and require all the network bandwidth. And yeah, yeah, they're always expensive. And they want to see all the data, which makes them a huge security threat too, because now they have all the data. So if they yep. get compromised, they now mm-hmm. have all the data because you gave them all the data mm-hmm. to find the trend. Like it's just a bad, it's a bad scenario all around. Hey everyone, Jonathan here. I just wanted to take a minute to thank the cloud consulting gurus at Foghorn for helping make the cloud pod possible. These folks truly get it. Cloud consulting experts since 2008, they are premier tier partners with AWS, Google Cloud Platform Silver, and Microsoft Azure partners. From multi-cloud to containers to moving full production workloads to the cloud under the tightest compliance, Foghorn's team of full-stack cloud engineers have been there, done that, gotten the t-shirt, and are ready to share their experience with you. If you're in the market for some talent to supplement your team, visit www.fogops.io slash thecloudpod www.fogops.io slash the cloud pod foghorn the promise of cloud delivered uh well speaking of uh security the vp of uh, and CISO at google cloud phil venables has written an interesting blog post i thought we'd talk about uh which is the mega trends driving cloud adoption and improved security for all uh, and, you know, the blog post starts out with the answer or the question that everyone always asks of the cloud providers, are clouds more secure than on-premise infrastructure? And he responds, the quick answer is generally yes, but the real answer is more nuanced and is grounded in a series of cloud security megatrends that drive technology innovation and improve the overall security posture of cloud providers and their customers. Uh, and Google's baseline security architecture adheres to a zero-trust policy, and he goes on to detail the eight megatrends. We're going to touch on them briefly, uh, and then he goes into exhaustive depth on every one of these eight. So if one of these sounds interesting to you and you want to check it out, I would definitely recommend checking out our show notes and clicking on the link uh, and checking out these articles because it's it's quite well done. It's just way too much for us to talk about here on the show uh, unless you guys have about four hours to go. <laughs> <laughs> First one of the megatrends is economies of scale. Decreasing the marginal cost of security raises the baseline level of security. And I, I, I do agree with this one. I think this is a great... Um, you know, I, I think the more security you can get out of the box, the more things you just have to enable with checkboxes, um, but then yeah. add value, I think is huge. And it, it adds security without having to do a lot of work. Um, and you can save the en- energy for things that do require a lot of refactoring or recoding or or better integration to your dev process. Next one is the shared fate. A flywheel of increasing trust drives more transition to the cloud, which compels even higher security, and even more skin in the game from the cloud provider. This is the... You know, you go down, we go down story. And, you know, Google is the only ones who put any money into this with the, you know, all of the insurance policies you can get with the attestation uh, guarantees that Google's offering you. So you you get someone who's actually got some skin in the game, which is nice with Google. Yeah, I would have tutted this until I remembered that it was Google. I was like, oh, wait, no, they actually are putting their money where their mouth is on this one. <laughs> exactly. Uh, healthy competition. The race by deep-pocketed cloud providers uh, to create and implement leading security technologies is the tip of the spear of innovation, which is interesting because I think this is an area Google's really crushed it, and I think Amazon has sort of failed, or not failed, but not invested as much as they should have. Uh, and Azure, well, that's just a security mess right now. So, you know, I, mm-hmm. <laughs> it's healthy competition because you're in the lead. But uh, I agree. I, I do think it does. You know, I think Google's investment in security is going to make Amazon change their tune. And you know, we saw Azure hire away a pretty key AWS executive to focus on security as well. So. Um, you know, things will be changing in the space thing in 22. You know, we should have that for our predictions. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Curses. Next up is uh, cloud as the digital immune system. 
Every security update the cloud gives the customer is informed by some threat, vulnerability, or new attack technique, often identified by someone else's experience. And enterprise IT leaders use this accelerating feedback loop to get better protection, which, you know, I don't know if this is such a cloud thing as much as I think there's a ton of scrutiny on open source and on Log4J and code bounty stuff. And that's where I think a lot of the value is coming from. And cloud providers may be, you know, helping to invest in that research and to help and find those vulnerabilities. Um, but, you know, I, I've never heard of a cloud, you know, I've never had Amazon come to me and say, hey, you know, we had another customer who's also running this particular version of the software you run and they are into the security thing yeah. and you should do something. I've never seen that. So I don't know about this one per se. I think in general, the entire technology ecosystem is helping there. And I think cloud is a side benefit of that. But I don't know what you guys think. I think it's centralization. I think there's some economy that you get and some efficiency just from, you know, having, you know, if you go from like a thousand IT shops all having the same you know, security concern going to six um, that can, you know, as previously to the, you know, the shared flywheel and the economy of scale, you know, they can spend more money, they can do more research. I, I, you know, it's a specialization, you know, you can argue that there's some advantage there. If this one's a little bit a hand wavy, I agree, but. Um, yeah. I'm with you, Justin. The, really most of the, Vulnerabilities have nothing to do with the platform itself, which is a good thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, cloud isn't really driving that yep. until it's you know like the Cosmos problem in Azure. <laughs> you know, so <laughs> I, I think we don't know about them very frequently when they are part of the platform. But right. Yeah. Uh, next up is software-defined infrastructure. Cloud is, of course, software-defined, so it can be dynamically configured with customer without customers having to manage hardware placement or cope with administrative toil. And from a security standpoint, that means specifying security policies as code and continuously monitoring their effectiveness, which I think, you know, this one I 1,000% agree with. Like, this is one of the things I'm most excited about with cloud is, you know, being able to do automatic remediation, automatic policy drift detection. Like, this this is the real-time security that your infrastructure needs to be constantly, like, how do you you attest in a PCI statement that you're secure and that you've been secure for a full 365 days? Well, this is how you do it, you know, and I I think this is... You know, being able to validate with code now that you're secure versus taking the CISO's word for it, I think is super valuable. And on top of that, you know, doing things like cycling entire infrastructures just so that nothing is long lived. And it gets even better when you look at containerized workloads. And, you know, now we have containers that exist for six hours. So good luck with your uh, your uh, security, you know, uh, Ah, shit. Your VM that's been running for the last three years and it's patch strategy. Well, like, how do you, yeah, how do you, how do you, well, no, as a, as a, as a hacker, you know, you know, it's going to be much harder to play the long game if crap keeps getting reset every six hours. Yeah. 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 You can't just camp on hardware that gets killed every two hours or every day yeah. or some regular cadence. I mean, even patching, being able to patch, you know, you go from, well, now I have to implement this patch. If the patch gets installed wrong, it'll blow up my app and I'll have a major incident too. Well, I just roll out new infrastructure. I then you know, validated it was good and then I shifted load to it through automation and I never had to worry about that. So I mean, those, yep. are, those are huge wins that you can now do in the cloud. Uh, let's see. Next up is increasing the deployment of velocity. Because the cloud's vast scale, providers have to had to automate software deployments and updates, usually with automated continuous integration and continuous deployment systems. That same automation delivers security enhancements, resulting in more frequent security updates. And this is this is shift left. This is DevSecOps. This is yeah, I agree with this one completely. Um, is it enabling the cloud? Yeah, likely. Um, I don't think the cloud's the only one benefiting from this one, though. True. I mean, but it the cloud power like. You know, back when I was managing physical assets, you know, people would hoard them because they were hard to get, right? And so the cloud making that an easy process, you see a lot more turnover. Um, and so, like, yeah, CI/CD in general is helping with that, but it's also just that that availability where it doesn't take six weeks for an environment. It's allowing people to actually feel comfortable tearing things down and getting rid of it, and then deploying it. Yeah, it's removed a lot of the fear for changes. True. Yeah. Uh, next up is simplicity. Cloud becomes an abstraction generating machine for identifying, creating, and deploying simpler default modes of operating securely and autonom- autonomically. I don't know if I call it simplicity. I think it's, I mean, it, it is in some ways, but I, I think, you know, through things like Terraform modules and, you know, different artifact types that we have now, we can now make very opinionated implementations and make them defaults um, and then enable developers, to enable operations people to move faster with these opinionated defaults that meet the security requirements. So I, I'm not sure that's essentially simplicity 
from a pure technical side, but from a dev perspective, I can see how they see it as simpler. They don't have to worry about it. Hmm. Yeah, I just think we moved the complexity somewhere else. Yeah, that's what yeah, I was yeah, we, just, we just shifted it away, but it's it's still there. Yeah. It's just you know, I don't. It's still there. Yeah, as someone who generally has to provide said simplicity, it doesn't feel simple at all. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, if we uh, we've been looking at. Uh, orchestration in a big way with backstage and some of the technologies like that. And, you know, it's like, wow, this makes things so much easier. And I built so much of this manually in the past. <laughs> uh, okay. And the last one is uh, sovereignty meets sustainability. The cloud's global scale and ability to operate in localized and distributed ways creates three pillars of sovereignty. The global scale can be also leveraged to improve energy efficiency. This one's a little weak. You had to get eight. I understand. <laughs> we'll go with it. Well, one of them, you know, like the, the the PR person's like you got to have sustainability in there somewhere. Yeah, yeah, right. got to hit the buzzwords, <laughs> and you also need to cover data sovereignty for nations that don't want to use, you know, want their data not to leave their country. Okay, we we'll check. Yeah. Seven trends it is. Yep. <laughs> uh, so yeah, that's a great one. Uh, again, these are all in much more depth, uh, and he gives very concrete examples of each of these areas. I do recommend reading the blog post. Uh, very good. I hope that uh, you know. I have noticed if he's been blogging other things, but uh, I'm gonna keep an eye out for it. You know, this is quite interesting and a good good read so it's it's always good to get the perspective of that scale just because that's not a perspective that's easy to have mm-hmm. uh, you know security for google cloud is a big big thing there's only you know a handful of people with that kind of visibility in the world and so like you know it's you know the, the mega trends thing like it's a bit of pr it's a bit of stance but it's also a very good perspective mm-hmm. Very informative. I mean, you, you've definitely seen things from Oracle and others where they, they do this kind of thing of like eight reasons to move to Oracle Cloud because we're better, you know, and they're and they're mm-hmm. just puff pieces. But you know, these are these are definitely, I think, well thought out. And when you read the details of some of these things, like you can tell he's really taking some time to think about this blog yeah. post. <laughs> so yeah, I didn't feel sell, sold to it all. It wasn't like go to Google Cloud because we're so secure. It was like these are problems. These are this is this is why this is good in general. Mm-hmm. And it also puts it in the perspective of, you know, these are things that you benefit from any cloud, not just Google Cloud. Although we, we mm-hmm. think we have a better way to do it, you know, you can get this benefit elsewhere. All right, moving on to Azure, which is uh, starting off the year strong with another thing I would never put on my list of top announcements for 2022, <laughs> uh, with several enhancements to Microsoft Defender. Uh, some of them are as benign as, you know, new alerting and improved existing alerts for storage in Defender, as well as removal of port sweeping alerts for the networking layer to keep the noise down. Uh, but this one's kind of interesting. So the Defender for Kubernetes and for container registries is now being combined into a new uh, comp- Defender for Container Plan, which is a terrible name, uh, Azure Defender offering, and now supports multi-cloud host-level threat detection with over 60 new Kubernetes-aware analytics and vulnerability assessments for running your images and Kubernetes-native at-scale onboarding when you enable the plan for all relevant components are configured automatically in your AKS, uh, which is pretty great. So if you're using AKS and you are looking for... Uh, you know, enhancing your container registry or your container runtime security, uh, this new container plan gets you quite a bit of additional security and, and uh, coverage. So definitely check this one out. Hmm. That's interesting because I always thought that Defender was a sort of a an agent-based sort of thing. So the fact that it's scanning registries for for container vulnerabilities or Docker image vulnerabilities, rather. So it, it has um, both parts. So it has an agent component still as well if you want that, but the it also mm-hmm. has a cloud service component which does things like the container scanning uh, capability. Mm-hmm. So they've, they've actually done a lot of investment in Defender uh, for the enterprise uh, over the last 12 months uh, that we typically don't talk about here because it hasn't been very cloud-specific, um, but yeah. you know, there's, there's several nice enhancements to Defender over the last uh, 12 months that I, I think are worth looking at. That's fantastic to hear. And then I have an Oracle story because again they fixed their RSS feed. Thank you for that, Oracle. And I now have way more like Oracle's amazing blog posts to throw away. But uh, uh, <laughs> you know, <laughs> this one is uh, this is something I've actually been come more familiar with recently because uh, you know I moved to a place where we use Google Cloud. <laughs> uh, my first non AWS customer uh, in a while. I used to use Azure in a past life, so I, I you know it's not my first time using our cloud than AWS. But uh, you know, I'm getting the fire hose of GCP uh, idiosyncrasies, if you will. Um, so Oracle uh, can't guarantee to deliver the existing X7 SKU anymore as the hardware is no longer being manufactured, which of course is a problem. Uh, so they're transitioning their Intel X7 shapes to the previous generation starting in February 22, uh, which means that uh, they will no longer deploy them in new regions they're setting up, which as you know, Oracle deploys a region like every other day uh, in weird places in people's garages. Uh, they'll no longer have the X7. 
but if you do have running instances on prior shapes uh, using the X7, you can still use them. But OCI cannot assure you fulfillment of more capacity for certain high demand regions where capacity is limited because the underlying, of course, has reached the sustaining phase of load lifecycle. Uh, you know, again, this isn't a weird thing. It's just if you have not, if you've gotten spoiled by AWS and really, you know, knowing that common instance types are just there and available to you, unless you're trying to get something like a C1 or a C2, um, you know, the, it's sort of interesting to end up in another cloud where capacity is more limited and you have to worry about capacity forecasting and worry about, you know, letting them know, hey, I want to, I'm going to spend up 300 N2s next week in this region. Is that okay? Um, you know, these are things that you might have to think about in your cloud provider solution that uh, I had not had to deal with prior. In AWS, unless I was trying to use like the really super expensive GPUs or things that are very specific use cases anyways that you're already working with AWS for. Yeah, I mean, coming from a data center background, managing you know infrastructure at this layer where you're defining each SKU, it's, re- it's been really nice working in Amazon where they abstract that away and they don't really promise you, you know, a Sandy Bridge or, you know, a specific CPU or, you know, that kind of thing. Just because in the majority of your use cases, it does not matter. Even if you have a team that will swear hands down that it doesn't work on this thing, the performance isn't the same. Um, it just, you know, I haven't seen that actually come to fruition in reality. Except for in the extreme, you know, extreme performance test where you're just beating the crap out of something you can with enough load where you can measure that nanosecond difference. So it, you know, to see to see these problems in the modern cloud world, you're like it's all, you know, like it didn't really go away. I just moved to a workload where it's abstracted away and I no longer have to to bother. And I really haven't had to other than considering whether I can use ARM or Graviton, mm-hmm. you know, like which 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 Intel CPU? I don't care. Yep. Well, that's a, that's a beauty. which one's cheaper. I, I mean, that's part of the beauty yeah. of the container space too. Is you know, very little in technology is very heavily compute orientated. That you care about that kind of idiosyncrasies of the you know the clock speed or you know if you get the benefit, you're like, yeah, I got the benefit because I moved from a C5 to a C6 uh, G or a C6 mm-hmm. I. Um, that's where I got my benefit. You know, but it was a very purposeful thing. But yeah, ultimately, like. The idiosyncrasy of the clock speed and some of the things that are kind of all obfuscated from you—you you just never noticed. Mm-hmm. And anything that anything where you do have a specific use case, you know, they're going to move you towards GPUs or you know stuff that's more more built for that that type of workload. Yeah, and and those are the things that you would necessarily have bought in a data center because you know you want you you know typically the last ten years before cloud became big, it was all about virtualization, right? And so you want a very very common stack so that you. Yeah, the shapes were all different on the VM side, but the the physical boxes were all identical and cookie cutter and, mm-hmm. and very repetitive. Um, so yeah, it is kind of a different paradigm. But uh, yeah, this is something you have to worry about in other clouds. If you're you know new to Azure, new to GCP, new to Oracle, um, these are things you should consider. <laughs> and you know they have ways to guarantee that capacity for you, which is great. Uh, but uh, yeah, you could if you all of a sudden need to go from you know hundred boxes to a thousand boxes, that capacity may not be there where. That's not typically a very common trend we've seen in AWS, at least in the big regions of AWS. Um, you know, maybe some of the smaller ones. I think there's been some isolated cases I've seen people talk about, uh, but typically they're very limited in their nature. And temporary, right? Like any use case where I had that kind of issue, it's gone away over time, right? Because mm-hmm. like when they were first rolling out Graviton and I, I wanted more in different AZs, you know, now it's not a problem. We used to hammer US West one though. We used to, I think we'd, uh, bleed it dry of C instances all the time. <laughs> I mean, US was one was a terrible decision all along. Like, you know, they're, they're one of those uh, Business Insider articles that they were talking about a rumor was, you know, they're, they're working on trying to fix the tire fire thing. But and part of that fixing is they're building allegedly seven new uh, AZs in the US East one region. <laughs> and like, you just think about the scale of that, like seven new data centers of capacity. Wow. Uh, to basically add, and you know, those are one of those things that, you know, how do you do that in Northern California and the Silicon Valley where that region is based? There's just, there's not enough land to build that kind of data center capacity. Build up, yeah. <laughs> well, unfortunately, data centers at sea. California doesn't like that either, so they don't let you. To, they don't let you build data centers tall. Build down, <laughs> build down, build down into the ground. In an earthquake zone. Use geothermal to, to let you. Yeah, there you, know. you go. <laughs> All right. Well, let's move on to the lightning round, which the score is zero, 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 all tied up. It's anyone's game once again. It's the brief window where I still think I have a chance to win this. Yeah. There you go. <laughs> Going strong tonight. You got this. 
You got it. Let's start it off with a bang. AWS Firewall Manager now supports AWS Shield Advanced Automatic Application Layer DDoS Mitigation. I don't know if I'm more annoyed that Firewall Manager sort of was doing things that I don't consider to be firewalls, or I'm annoyed that this wasn't just automatically something that Shield did. I'm not. Well, that's the funny part about this, right? So AWS Shield Advanced, it's it's the protection is automatic. So you once you click the box, it just does it. And now they're just moving the click box to a new service. Thanks, Amazon. Yeah. Firewall manager feels like a weird product to me still. I mean, I yeah. I, don't, I don't know what I use it for, but I, I know there's Oh, I love it, but I wish it was called something else. Okay, perfect. <laughs> <laughs> Instance tags are now available on the Amazon EC2 instance metadata service, completely ruining one of the tests I would do for new engineers. <laughs> Which I would have failed because I just assumed that you could get instance tags from the instance metadata service. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no, I found you. I find this out like once a year the hard way up until now. Um, yep. <laughs> like you just assume this is something you can do and you cannot. You can. Well, you can now. Yeah. This is actually going to save me on API limits, which is actually one of my use cases where I'm having issues with. Um, so all jokes aside, I'm like, I'm yes, finally. <laughs> well, cool. it, it, yeah. it makes sense that this has to be there for ABAC to work, right? Like, if you're doing attribute-based access control, like I would think you need to be able to see instance tags and know what attribute you're actually checking the policy against, right? Like, I that's why I was kind of shocked this wasn't there. Yeah, it's 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 been a kind of crazy thing where you realize that you couldn't do this, and so you orchestrate a you know a describe instance or. Yep. or call for this and then you know like in my case um, now i'm hitting service limits in the apis because it's yeah i've got enough nodes where that's a problem and so it's like oh crap yep well fine-grained access control is now supported on existing amazon open search service domains allowing you now to restrict access to all of your logs so that you can write them but you can't get them out which is the way i like to see it. Mm-hmm. that's the way i like my logs unreadable <laughs> Yeah, this is a security checkbox. I've I've seen this request any number of times. Like, well, no, you have to you can't have access to your logs for for application debugging, or you have to have you know user defined access to logs. I'm like, oh, cool, useless. Jeez, I mean, I'm all nice. for our back, but you know, by index. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Well, sticking with the open search theme, um, Amazon Open Search Service, which if you didn't know, is the successor to the Amazon Elasticsearch service, now supports anomaly detection for historical data. Which, you know, great. Historical data, anomalies, blah, blah, blah. Don't care. Uh, I'm more interested, like, so you guys are so anal about MongoDB compatibility, but with Amazon OpenSearch, you're only sometimes using the successor to Amazon Elasticsearch service? Come on, Amazon. Get on the, like, we've got to make Peter work for his his. Yeah, right? Like, that's the thing I'm upset about the most yeah. is that we're not uniform, uniformly punishing Peter and having Yes, punish me. Yes. So <laughs> I, I'm, I'm, you know, Amazon, fix the fix this. Like, it needs to be a successor yeah. to Amazon Lash Service every time if that's what you're going to do. Yeah. Well, Amazon ECS launches a new simplified console experience for creating ECS clusters and task definitions. Yeah. Shenanigans. They called their first console simple to, simple to use. No way. <laughs> All I could think was, Ryan's be really mad this week. <laughs> <laughs> and you'd be right. <laughs> well, uh, introducing real-time collaborative notebooks with EMR Studio. Making it easier and easier for the big data engineers to just copy and paste each other's code. Perfect. Yeah. <laughs> uh, if, it's a, if it's anything like collaboratively editing in our show notes, it'll go so well. Yeah. <laughs> but you guys edit the show notes? Hmm? I just did all the work. I just fixed all your typing oh, mistakes. Yeah, I don't right. add any real content. <laughs> it is very satisfy- su- satisfying. Uh, Azure Ultra Disk Storage is now generally available in West US 3. I mean, it's the new year. We have to talk about Ultra Disks again. Like, I mean, I, this is the only reason why this is here because we don't typically talk about G- GAs of dumb things unless they're Ultra Disks. Ultra. <laughs> Uh, new AWS toolkit for JetBrains IDEs adds support for ECS exec for troubleshooting ECS containers. Remember how I was super excited about ECS exec and that I was it was the thing I really asked for a long time. And this is how you ru- uh-huh. this is how you ruin that for me. You put it you put uh, it in the devs IDE, and now I'm crunky again. Uh, well, as someone who's come you know turned the corner on IDEs, I'm I'm all for this. Uh, but yeah, this is don't do it in prod. <laughs> 
<laughs> and Amazon SNS now supports attribute-based access controls. Hey, back. You know, it, it makes me wonder, like, what? You know, you're sending notifications out through a push message or you know a Slack message or an email. Like, how much ABAC do you actually need for this use case? Right. Like, is this a? It's a publishing model. Mm-hmm. Like, I, <laughs> like, I'm sorry, your server, you don't have the right tag to send to the SNS service because you know, right. like, this is a little strange. <laughs> like, so sort of weird to me. This just sounds like one of those features that I'm going to screw up and I'm going to end up either not getting my notifications or I'm going to be blasting everyone. And I'm, I'm sure it's going to be the first one. You're not going to get the notifications causing a massive outage, which then you're going to get yelled at by your boss. Which That's how that's going to work out. That's how I see it. But it's secure. Amazon Redshift Spectrum now offers custom data validation rules. But I want to be able to see my data across all the spectrums. Oh. It's a color spectrum, right? Like, you know, like conditional formatting. So if the data validation it goes to all the you know colors in the spectrum, well, definitely on the spectrum. That's for sure. <laughs> Facts. Uh, Azure Load Balancer SKU upgrade through PowerShell scripts. <laughs> so Azure, we gotta talk. Like you know, you haven't announced anything really cool lately, but now you're scraping the bottom of that barrel, like. You know, we added the ability to change a parameter through a PowerShell script, and you wrote an entire blog post announcing this to the world. Like, come on, man! Like, what's going on over there? I'm really only bummed that Jonathan's not here because you know he would feel very strongly about this virtual construct for keeping physical goods being used, being updated by something like PowerShell. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. All right. Well, that was a. Uh... That was an exciting way to start the year. I think I'm giving the victory to uh, Ryan for working the word shenanigans into our session. <laughs> nice. <laughs> That's just an ex- like an expletive, really, but okay. <laughs> shenanigans. <laughs> Well, uh, that's fine. I'm fine with that. Uh, you know, the other shenanigans is that I have not updated the things coming up calendar because <laughs> I forgot to do that. And uh, oh, perfect. So uh, I don't have anything coming up right now. Although I'm sure there's something coming up. I just don't know what it is. Uh, and that's a okay. that's a vacation hangover item. So I will fix that for next week. So we'll talk about all the new conferences coming up because once again we're going to be playing the game of uh, is Omicron or COVID next <laughs> next variant going to cancel or make the in person conference happen, uh, which will be happening yeah. later. I mean, Amazon really squeaked that conference in there. I just say that reinvent. If it had been three weeks later, I think that conference never would have happened. Yep. Yeah. yeah I, f- totally. I found out about Omicron at reInvent. So perfect. Yeah. Good timing. Mm-hmm. Can't believe we didn't all get Omicron when we were down there. I was surprised I mean, as you I, are. I mean, considering, yeah. I took a lot of precautions. Considering so. how little I actually went to the show floor or to any sessions, I'm not surprised I didn't get it at all. Because <laughs> mm-hmm. my, my interactions were mostly with you guys and beer. And Yeah, and, well, the beer is the problem. Yeah. It's hard to drink beer in a mask. It is hard to drink a beer in a mask. That's true. Uh, well, anyways, well, that's another fantastic week in the year. Happy New Year to everybody. We are excited for another exciting year. What's coming? What's going to come happen? We don't know. We'll see. And we'll talk to you uh, next week. Later. Bye, everybody. Bye-bye. And that is the week in the cloud. We'd like to thank our sponsors, Foghorn Consulting and Jump Cloud. Check out our website, the home of the cloud pod, where you can join our newsletter, Slack team, and send feedback or ask questions at thecloudpod.net or tweet us with the hashtag thecloudpod. 